This is the Western Sydney Health Check with Harrison and Sia. Hello and welcome to Western Sydney Health Check. This week we have a remarkable true story for you of survival against the odds. Fine Kula was in peak health training for the Cronulla Sharks last year when he was struck down by severe headaches. The shock diagnosis, an aggressive brain cancer. In a moment, you'll hear Harrison's one-on-one interview with Fine. I don't know anyone or anyone that I know personally that's gone through, you know, all the treatment and that, like gone through cancer and that. But yeah, I, I was a bit nervous, I was a bit scared. I've never been sick in my whole entire life. Coming up on the show, I speak to one of the doctors who treated Fina here at Westmead Hospital, Dr. Vivek Badri. So when we first started treating him, Fina was basically confined to bed, could hardly walk or talk or eat. There was a time where it really was touch and go as to whether he was going to survive. I can't wait to hear more of that interview. Later, we'll also be joined by Taylor as she brings us a new segment featuring the top news of the week in the Pulse Top 3. But first, with me now is an inspirational young man whose story has to be heard to be believed. Finair Kula's life was turned upside down last year when he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer known as medulloblastoma. His promising football career was over in an instant and doctors told Finair he may never walk again. But after nearly a year of treatment here at Westmead Hospital, he was miraculously given the all clear. Finair, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Oh good, thank you for having me. Really appreciate you coming in. So take us back to where it all began, Finna. You just uh, had done a little bit of pre-season training. You were enjoying the Christmas break. You were about to um, celebrate your 21st birthday, but you got a warning sign that something wasn't right. What was happening? In the 2019 pre-season, usually starts around um, November, two months of training was done. Uh, going into our um, Christmas break, started to develop some bad headaches. I thought, you know, it was just one of those um, headaches that will go away after just taking Panadol, some Nurofen or something like that. And I noticed uh, it was a ongoing thing, happened every day. It got to a point where the best days was just laying in bed with the blinds and that closed and just sleeping it off. So how long was that going on before you thought, I need to do something about this? Yeah, it was going on for about a week. It was just one of those headaches, like migraines, where all you needed to do was just lay down and close your eyes. The next few days uh, was our beginning of preseason in January. And I went to training and I told my shark doctors about it. You're still feeling the headache now. Maybe you should just go to the hospital and ask for a scan or something like that. And and that's what I did. I I just followed the instructions. And what happened from there? You went to hospital, you got an MRI. So yeah, I went into hospital, Liverpool hospital, and um, didn't get my results back until like five in the afternoon. And like the nurse had to take me into a room with my missus and tell me that there was like, there were signs of a tumour in the back of my brain. Do you remember how that felt in that moment, getting that news? Yeah, um, my girlfriend, she just started to tear up and cry and that, but... I looked at it like, oh, it could be like, you know, something that they could take out or something like that. I I didn't know really like into details or what it could have been. It was just kind of um, uncertainty and stuff like that. Like, don't know, don't know how I'm going to pull through, but yeah. So after that, you know, you got a little bit more specialist insight and it came back sounding not good. It's, It's pretty serious. Yeah. How was that feeling then of knowing that you had a lot of treatment ahead of you? Yeah, just scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like, I don't know anyone or anyone that I know personally that's gone through, you know, all the treatment and that, like gone through cancer and that. But yeah, I, I was a bit nervous. I was a bit scared. I've never been sick in my whole entire life. It must have been such a huge shock to try and process for all of you. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was, yeah. 
So then you were referred here to Westmead Hospital. You had the adolescent team here treating you. Yeah. What was that like, the treatment here with uh, the nurses and doctors here? To be honest, it made everything a bit easier for my family. I couldn't really explain it, but my parents and that they always tell me because during those times, I was hardly awake. Obviously, going through treatment and that, I would sleep the whole day. I didn't know how I was getting looked after by my, my family and they always tell me that, you know, everyone's looking after you. I believe what they said because I'm, I'm right here talking to you. It must have taken a huge toll on your body as well. Yeah. What was it like for you going through, you know, round after round of radiation and chemotherapy? So I always tell people that last year I felt like I was asleep the whole year. Didn't keep in track of the days. I didn't keep in track of time. I was basically asleep the whole year last year. So it was wow. just one of those ones where the medicine was taking over my body mm-hmm. and I just couldn't. I couldn't do anything but just lay there. Through that time, who was looking after you? Who was supporting you? Because COVID uh, hit pretty bad. It went from being two people in the hospital, uh, in my hospital room and that. Then it ended up being to one person. And then later on, it ended up being um, you can only visit in the mornings and afternoon for like two hours. The nurses during this time helped me out really good. Like they checked up on me every time, especially the cancer ward electronics facetime facetime my family and that but how long did you spend at westmead hospital in the end i would say the whole year wow (laughs) but yeah like i know that after chemo and that i would get sick so i'd stay at least two weeks in the hospital every time after i finished my chemo and during that time i understand your dad he stopped working to look after you is that right yeah so my dad um he was working with my uncles and that doing um remedial repairs my mom doesn't have the best english and my dad, like, he's born in Tonga but raised in New Zealand. So, like, he could talk to the doctors and that and stuff. So he, he sacrificed not working just to look after me. I know that your club rallied behind you as well. Um, the Cronulla Sharks, they did a lot of donations and fundraising and that for me and my family. My high school, Endeavour Sports High School, they did a lot. They're still doing it till now. Like, they're doing a lot of fundraising and that for me and my family. Appreciate it from both my school and my club. You mentioned your school, your family. Uh, are there any of our staff that really stick with you? Anyone you remember from your time here that really helped you? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, all doc- like uh, Dr. Bajri, um, Dr. Allison and Nurse Allison. Uh, oh, I don't know, but knowing that my parents put all their faith in their hands in that, like, is a big thing. Like, my parents, they, they're the ones that look after me since I was young, but to put their faith in the doctor's hands to look after me during my treatment and that was like a big thing so yeah those doctors um, dr Bajri, dr allison and nurse allison like there's no words to explain how much care they have for me so yeah that's amazing and we're going to hear from dr Bajri later in the episode as well i think he was pretty amazed by your journey as yeah. well during those really difficult times of treatment doctors said you might never walk again yeah how were you feeling and what carried you through those low moments obviously my faith Basically, an example right now, like I'm walking everywhere. I'm healthy now. I'm doing some training in that. I'm doing every day-to-day life that I couldn't do last year. I'm doing it now. How did it feel in September, getting that verdict after months of grueling treatment that you were all clear? Oh, it was a, it was a bit of a tearjerker. <laughs> yeah, once the doctors and that showed our scan and um, showed the scan and said that it's all clear, 
uh, me and my dad just looked at each other and we just both cried after what I've been through the whole of last year. To be honest, it's just that uncertainty, like it might come back when it showed that it was all clear. It was good news, but we were crying the whole time. So. I bet, you know, football is a huge part of your life. You know, you, you grew up in South Auckland playing. You were scouted by the Sharks who brought you here when you were just 13. You were on the cusp of your professional di- debut and it was all taken away from you. How do you feel looking back on that now? I dedicated probably seven years trying to be a footy player. People always tell me, like, players, it's only a short time of your life. You have the whole rest of your life to look forward to. I still get, you know, still get jumpy in that when I watch the boys play. Like, I miss running on the field. I miss the contact. I miss, you know, playing the game. If me playing footy means that I'm not going to, you know, see my see my family again, it's like, oh, could it? That's it. I won't play footy anymore. I'd rather be there for my family. But I know that your football journey is not totally over as well. What have you been up to now? Doing coaching now. So thanks to the Cronulla Sharks for allowing me the opportunity to come and help out the junior rep sides, Cronulla Sharks. And I've just been um, helping out the teams and giving my little input. I'm, I'm not a professional football player anymore, so now it's time for me to just come and give back to the club, especially them being there for me the whole year. How have you found it going from player to coach? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, it's a bit different from being a player to a coach now. And what else have you been up to in life? since enjoying I guess your your freedom from hospital just training on my trying to get back into some kind of you know fitness and that just walk every day just enjoy life now see my family as much as I can and uh, hang out with my friends and that as much as I can too well you're looking healthy you're looking strong do you have any sort of ongoing treatment or um, ongoing checkups um yeah I do so I'm just on a medication I take one pill a day um that's that's all I've been doing now so I'm I'm almost coming to the end of it I've got five more months left and I do, um, every time I do three months of medication, I get an MRI scan. So my last one was like two weeks. My last MRI scan was two weeks ago and it was all clear. Wow. Yeah. That's brilliant. So have you had a chance to visit Dr. Badri or Dr. Allison or any other staff? Oh, I always see them after my MRI scans and that are done. I see them a week later. So I always see them. Yeah. Nice. What's that like seeing them now? I, I get a bit nervous just in case, you know, something they see on the scan and that. You know, it could be worrying or anything, but every time I see them, they always have a smile and they're like, oh, it's all clear. Just to wrap up here, do you have any, I guess, final thoughts or words of advice, maybe anything you've learned from your experience through this tough journey? Probably one thing I could say is that um, don't be tough because <laughs> that's what I did. I try to be tough about um, the headaches. I try to be tough about it and thinking like me, a rugby league player, thinking that I was fit, that I wouldn't get sick and that anything that goes wrong and that always check it out. Like live life, don't regret anything in the past, just moving on the next day. <laughs> don't be too tough to look after yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice. Mm-hmm. Finna, your journey is an inspiration to all of us. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and, and sharing your experience with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Finne, for sharing your incredible story with us. I'm sure I speak for everyone at Western Sydney Local Health District in wishing you all the very best for your continued recovery and your new life in football. So our next guest on the show is our adolescent medical oncologist, Dr Vivek Badri. Vivek works in the Crown Princess Mary Cancer Centre at Westmead Hospital and was one of the doctors treating Finne through his remarkable battle with brain cancer. Vivek, thanks for joining us on our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. This is a great story. It really is. It really, really is. And it's it's great that he was willing to have a chat with us about his journey. And I would really like to understand uh, his story from a medical perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about the type of cancer he was diagnosed with? 
So Fina was diagnosed with uh, a type of brain cancer called medulloblastoma. This is actually quite a common brain tumor in children, but it does also affect teenagers and young adults. It occurs in the back of the brain and often uh, presents with problems such as headache and balance problems. Is it easily diagnosed? Are the symptoms fairly obvious? Do they show fairly early? Actually, by the time most people are diagnosed with medulloblastoma, they have a reasonable degree of symptoms, particularly headache, nausea and vomiting. And so the diagnosis is usually fairly straightforward to make on a CT scan. And I understand it is one of the most common types of brain tumour in children. How rare is it to find in adults? It's actually very uncommon in adults. So, in fact, it makes up less than 1% of adult brain tumours. In Finna's age group in the sort of late teens and early 20s, we do see a a small number of patients uh, with medulloblastoma. Do you know how common it is in Western Sydney? Well, there are no real geographical variations for medulloblastoma. We know that in adults, it occurs in about one in every two million people. If you look at the population of Western Sydney, two million people, you probably get, we probably at Westmead get about one or two cases of medulloblastoma per year. So it's pretty uncommon, basically. And is there any research about the cause and why it might affect this age group? We don't know a huge amount about why it occurs, but we are doing a lot of research at the molecular level to try and improve the treatments that we have for medulloblastoma. So just going back to Finner's journey, what was his prognosis when he was diagnosed? His father, Solomon, said they were prepared for Finner to never walk out of Westmead Hospital again. Solomon is right. When we first knew of Finner, we were very concerned. Finner was in a very bad state. We knew that he had medulloblastoma in the brain. More importantly, he also had evidence that the tumor had spread down his spine. So when we first started treating him, Finney was basically confined to bed, could hardly walk or talk or eat. There was a time where it really was touch and go as to whether he was going to survive. We were very concerned. Uh, Right at the start, he started off in a really dire situation. Wow, what a miracle survival story. So how did you go about treatment? How did he get from that to walking out of hospital? So the important thing was he first had surgery to remove the bulk of the tumour in the brain. And then he started urgent high-dose radiotherapy um, to the area where the tumour had been removed from the brain, but also to the spinal cord where all of the spread had occurred. And he had radiotherapy every day for six weeks. And it was during this time we started to see that Finney was getting better slowly, day by day, but he was still very, very sick. That acute period where we thought he wasn't going to survive, that had passed. So he had radiotherapy every day for six weeks. Most of that time he was in hospital. And then we gave him a short break before starting his chemotherapy. Now, all through that time, we could see him making small steps day by day, but he was still pretty disabled by the tumour and the treatment. What's been amazing is that, in fact, over the subsequent six to nine months, he has just gone from strength to strength. How surprised were you when he eventually made a full recovery? How did that feel for you as his doctor? From where Finney started to see where he is now, it's just an amazing feeling as part of his treating team to see this. And he's been lucky in that the treatment's been very effective and he has been so motivated to try and get back onto his feet and get back to doing the things that he loves. It's just been a pleasure to work with him and Solomon and all his family 
Wow, that's just incredible. So what's next for Finney in his monitoring and his treatment? After Finney had his radiotherapy, he had four cycles of very intensive chemotherapy. He actually tolerated very well, although he did need to come into hospital for antibiotics and blood transfusions. And since he's finished that treatment, he's now been put on this tablet called Vismodigib. And this is a tablet that is really unique to uh, Finney's type of medulloblastoma. And this drug actually targets that pathway. Uh, and Finney's been on this drug now for six months. He has MRI scans of his brain and spine every three months. We have not seen any evidence of the tumor coming back. And that's just brilliant. So we plan to keep him on this tablet for another six months, keep a very close eye on how he goes, as well as doing scans usually every three months or so. So for um, survivors of this disease, is recurrence common? It's actually not that common, recurrent medulloblastoma. In about 70% of people, the medulloblastoma won't come back. I think in Finney's case, what's in his favour is that he has this tablet that can uh, target that metabolic pathway that we know is activated in his tumour. What's sort of not in his favour is the fact that it had already spread quite extensively at the beginning. But we can only wait and see. I believe that this treatment is going to be very effective for Finney and, and hopefully he will continue to go uh, from strength to strength. It sounds like he's in very, very good hands and, and congratulations on what would be one of many success stories for you. We'd love to hear a little bit about you actually in terms of your role adolescent oncology. What inspired you to work with this age group? I trained as a pediatric oncologist. When uh, I was doing the bulk of my training, I was looking after little children toddlers, infants, preschool kids um, with their various different cancers. That itself has its own challenges, but I really enjoyed working with that age group of people. But when I finished my training, an opportunity came up to actually work with an older group of patients, the, the teenagers and the young adults. And it's not something that I had always considered doing, particularly because I was used to working with much smaller and younger children. But the more that I have done it, the more I realize how wonderful it is to actually work with, with young people. They are full of great ideas, full of enthusiasm for life. It sometimes takes time to get to know them well and for them to feel comfortable trusting you. But when you've made those connections, and of course we see patients regularly, you know, sometimes every week for over a prolonged period of time, we really get to know them and they get to know us and it's just, it's a really good relationship that we build up. You know, I am only one of many people in a team that looks after um, Finet. We have other doctors, we have nurses, psychologists, social workers, all who are part of a big team, part of the youth cancer service that we run at Western that can help support young people and their families through what is a really, really difficult time. Well, it is a difficult time in general, isn't it? Without having to go to hospital, it's a, a difficult life stage transitioning to adulthood. Some really interesting work that you're doing. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights and for giving us uh, some information about Finner's journey. And it's great to hear uh, such a positive outcome. And um, as I said before, it sounds like he is in very good hands with his team at Westmead Hospital. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining the show. Finally, as promised, we have a new segment today brought to you by the voice of Western Sydney Health Check, Taylor Massingham. Hey, it's Taylor, and I'm bringing you the top three stories of the week on thepulse.org.au. Let's kick it off. Three. At number three, 
Not only have our health heroes helped stop COVID, they have also helped businesses stay open. Abdullah, the owner of Afghan Traditional Bakery at 91 Auburn Road, has kept his bakery firing throughout COVID thanks to the support of our multicultural health team. The much-loved bakery is known for its huge, tandoor-cooked Afghan breads that are longer than skateboards. See them for yourself and find out how we're supporting local businesses at thepulse.org.au. Two. At number two, if you've been delaying getting your regular sexual health checkup, now is the time to make an appointment. That's the message from Professor David Lewis, Director of Western Sydney Sexual Health Centre. The latest research suggests SDI spread undetected last year during COVID-19 lockdowns. Head to thepulse.org.au to find out where to get a free and confidential testing for SDIs and HIV. One. Coming in at number one in the Pulse top three. Did you know Westmead Hospital is Sydney's designated mass decontamination facility? We found this out because we went behind the scenes at chemical disaster training with emergency department staff and first responders. It was the first drill of its kind at our brand new facilities in the Central Acute Services Building. The must-see photos of what happens in the aftermath of a chemical accident are online now at thepulse.org.au. I'm Taylor, and that's it for The Pulse Top 3. You can get these stories and more at thepulse.org.au. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is brought to you by the Corporate Communications team at Western Sydney Local Health District. Our program today was produced and edited by Carlos Furtado and Tim Dunlop. Harrison VC and Sia Anthopoulos are your hosts, and I'm Taylor Massingham. Find us at thepulse.org.au, Western Sydney Health on Facebook and Twitter, and Humans of the Hospital on Instagram. If you have any feedback or program ideas, email us via the address in the show notes.